Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good morning. It's great to be with you all. You know, it really is. Thank you, Brandon, for those great words. And Brandon, I have, if you want some dirt on Brandon, come and talk to me. Okay. Uh, I have known him a long time, his family a long time, and it's great. It's good to be with you all. I met some people today. They said, this is our first Sunday. I said, that's great. It's my first Sunday, too. <laughs> Actually, we've been here uh, several times for funerals or other types of things like that. But for a morning worship service, this is the first time. I just told Aaron, uh, I so benefit and love worshiping with you all under their leadership. Aaron and his team do a great job, don't they? Absolutely. I, I think the quality of what was done, I think the focus of there on Jesus is so excellent. And it's really important to do that, isn't it? You really are blessed. I've had the opportunity to meet with your staff, and you've got a great staff here in the search committee, the board. You have such a wonderful leadership team here. I hope you know that, and I hope you're praying for them. And so, because it's in these times of transition, it can be tough. And they've asked me if I'd come in and provide some continuity in the preaching and teaching. And there's some others that are already scheduled and trying to work it into my schedule. It'll be a little bit herky-jerky, but this morning we're going to start with the series. And uh, hopefully that'll help you as we get into the Word. But you know, sometimes when we go through life, you ever feel like just giving up? You know, I know coming in this morning, it's great to raise our hands, it's great to praise. And some of us honestly are probably thinking, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. I got to have this. Well, I want to talk with you today about a guy who knew that feeling, and not from a church standpoint or spiritual standpoint, but he had prepared all his life for this moment in 1968. His name is John Stephen Acori. He lined up with 75 others to run a marathon in the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City. Now, John Stephen Acori is from Tanzania, and they're known for their long-distance runners in East Africa, and he was really ready for the day but he wasn't ready for how it was going to change his life. Little did he know when he lined up with all of those other runners in Mexico City that 25 years later he would be awarded a National Hero Medal in Tanzania. That in 2000 he would be invited to 2000 Olympics in Sydney, Australia to represent his country. That in 2008 he would be a goodwill ambassador in Beijing, China in the torchbearer in Tanzania. You remember that year when they took the torch and they just ran literally around the world from country to country? He was one in Tanzania that did that. And that there would be a John Stephen Aquari Foundation that would be started to support aspiring Tanzanian athletes who were training for the Olympics. Isn't that amazing? Now you might think he probably set a world record that day. He certainly got the gold. He did not get the gold, he did not get the silver, he did not get the bronze. He actually finished dead last in that race. If you're scratching your head, so was I. Here's the reason. He was struggling. He probably prepared well to run that 26-mile race. And if you ever think about that, that's like from here to Anthem. Anybody want to run from here to Anthem? I don't. You probably do. I respect you or pity you. I'm not sure. It's crazy, but he had trained, he had worked, but Mexico City is really, really high, great elevation. And so I believe that that began to create some problems for him. As he went over an hour in, I'm sorry, 
<clears throat> he gets into it, and about the six-mile mark, he began to deal with severe cramps in his legs. About the 12-mile mark, they were jockeying for position. Another runner cut him off, and he fell and fell badly. He not only bruised himself up, but dislocated a joint. But he didn't quit. He kept on going. And over an hour after the results of the race had been done, after an hour after it had been determined who was the winner, he comes struggling into that part of the stadium. Now, there were still a few thousand athletes, not athletes, but spectators that were there that were hanging on for the next event, and they see him coming in bandaged and struggling toward the finish line, and they begin to stand up and they begin to cheer. And he continues to struggle toward the finish line. Some sports writers and commentators who were there, here's the commotion, they're wondering, what's going on? This race is long done. And so they come over and they watch him cross the finish line amid the cheers of the few thousand people that were still left in the stands. After he finished that, one of the commentators asked him this question, why would you keep on, why would you struggle to finish when you knew that the race was long over? The outcome had been determined, and here was his answer. He said, my country did not send me to Mexico City to start the race but to finish it. My country did not send me to Mexico City all these thousands of miles to start the race, but to what? To finish it. And he finished 57th. Now, wait a minute. You said dead last. You said there were 75 runners. You're right. You know what that means? 57 finished the race. The rest didn't even finish. You see why he's such a hero in his home country? Because of the model of perseverance, the model of endurance that he did, is admirable, and it's motivating, and it's what we ought to be about. You know, for us in life, life honestly is like a marathon, isn't it? And if we're in here, we can, if we're honest with each other, if we can bring our flaws and our faults and all that, and we're going to be talking about some of those in the next few weeks, we need to be honest with the fact it's a grueling race. It's tough. We've all been affected by COVID and its ongoing effects to one degree or another. It's the gift that seems to keep on giving, doesn't it? I'm ready to be done with it, but it's not ready to be done with us yet, it doesn't seem. But there are many in this room, perhaps this morning, who have other health issues, and it's a grind, and it's tough, and it's hard to get out of bed every morning. That could be cancer. It could be some disability. It could be, I met a woman last week before the service at Bethany Bible, now Phoenix Bible Church, where I've been serving as interim pastor, who's legally blind. She's there in the service. Every week, every day, she's having to deal with her loss of sightedness. Could be polarization. Are you tired of the polarization over the incessant political bickering that's going on and the divisions that take place? Sometimes you just want to say, I'll quit. I want, to, I want to go somewhere else. I want to do something different. Anybody think marriage takes endurance? If you've been married longer than like a day, you get that, right? And so Emily and I were just talking the other day about reflecting back over our life as a married couple. And some of those days, they honestly were very dark. And they were very hard. And they were very difficult. And yet by God's grace, we were able to persevere somehow through His Spirit. And we're so glad today that we have done that. This whole year we've decided it's not going to be a day of celebration. We want the whole year to be a celebration. 
It's a year of jubilee in a sense. And so we want to stress that. What about parenting? You know that parenting, whether it's with young children or adult children, and especially with adult children who may be making decisions that you no longer have influence over, and you're saying, stop it, you're going the wrong way. You need to turn, but they're not listening. It takes endurance, doesn't it? You know, I often look at that with those in recovery programs and how frequently relapse is a part of the recovery journey. Well, don't quit, get back up. Many start out excited about their relationship with Christ, but it begins to fade because it's not what they believe, or it's like what our son said to us. It feels like if it's a relationship, it's really one-sided. I've done all of this, and God hasn't shown up. Now, I think he's deceived with that and deluded, but it still is where his reality. Maybe that's where you are today. You know, it's not just people in churches, it's the pastors, it's leaders. According to George Barna's research, or the Barna Research Group, the U.S. is in a post-Christian era. So it's hard to walk with Christ when you're swimming upstream. 87%, according to Barna Research, have not read their Bible in the last week. This is Americans. 65% have not attended a Christian church in the last six months. 60% of Americans have never made a commitment to Christ. 47% have not prayed to God in the last week. 41% disagree that their faith is important in their lives. In other words, they're saying it's not important. And 11%, one of the highest numbers that we've seen in history, don't even believe there is a God. We are trending toward a post-Christian America when you read these types of things. So it's harder to live. Barnett said this, my wife and I were at a... Bible study that he happened to come in and be invited to, and he made this statement, which really got my attention. He said this only, this is George Barna, not the research group. George Barna said only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview, but 51% think they do. You see a problem with those statistics? Only 6% have a biblical worldview, but over half think that they do? It's a problem. And even pastors... There's a trend that's disturbing. Since 2017, Pastoral Care Institute from Fuller Seminary and Barna Research said 50% of the ministers starting out will not last five years. And only one in 10 will retire in some form of ministry. In late 2020, Lifeway Research said 30% of pastors considered quitting, getting out of the ministry due to COVID and its relation. And one year later, in November 2021, Barna Research said that that number went up by 8%, that 38% of pastors seriously considered quitting. Those are sobering statistics because they reach, speak to a reality of the world in which we are as followers of Jesus Christ. And it's tough, oftentimes, to live for Christ in a world that increasingly seems to be going the other direction. And sometimes even within church. So what do we do? Well, this morning I'm going to ask you to turn with me to a portion of Scripture. It's just two verses, but they are absolutely packed, and they are life-transformative. This is a paradigm that if we can get it, and we can apply it to our lives, literally will change our perspective and will change the trajectory of our life. It's written to a group of people, and in, that are known as the Hebrews. If the book is Hebrews. 
We're going to be looking at chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And in this passage, he's writing to people who are about to throw in the towel. They were about to give up. They were Messianic Jews. They had put their faith in Jesus as the Messiah, but Jesus had died. He was gone. He hadn't come back. He hadn't established the kingdom. He hadn't done what they expected him to do. He had not shown up in the way they thought that he would and should show up. So they're thinking, well, maybe we go back to the old way. Maybe we go back to Judaism. And the book of Hebrews is a book about the superiority of Jesus Christ. The superiority to the priesthood, the superiority to the sacrificial system, the superiority to the fathers of the faith, the superiority to the angels in heaven. It's the superiority of Jesus Christ to every other one. What we sang about, what Aaron and his team so well led us in this morning is focusing on Jesus. So in chapter 12, we read these words to people who are about to give up. They are about to say, I'm down for the count. i got to throw in the towel. I can't do this anymore. Listen to what he says to them and to us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And friends, that's a reading of the word of God. Let's talk about it for a few minutes. One of the main things that I believe this is saying, the core, the guts, the heart of it is this. Even though it's hard, we can, as followers of Christ, run well, and we can finish strong can be done but we have to run with endurance we have to believe that and we have to keep on keeping on did you see that central command in there run with endurance the race that is set before us who set that race before us God did do we trust in his ability to not give us more than we can handle it's a great thing to look at this whole concept even of a race Paul was fond of many metaphors. Now, having said that, I'm not saying Paul wrote Hebrews because nobody really knows who wrote Hebrews. But the Apostle Paul, among others, was very fond of athletic metaphors. I think it's great. You know, most of the sports world is looking at Phoenix, Arizona this week because the Super Bowl is coming up next Sunday, right? Because the Phoenix Open is going to be happening beginning this week. So, so much of the sports world's focused here. Well, this morning, the sports world, as we look back, they were focused on things like races and boxing and wrestling. The Greco-Roman world was filled with sports and analogies, just like American culture is today. The Apostle Paul and other biblical authors oftentimes used it. But there's something that's instructive as we see this. Paul says, you know, don't you know that all who run in a race, this is in 1 Corinthians 9, run, but only one receives the prize? Paul says, I want to run in such a way to receive that prize of the upward call of the Lord Jesus. I want to run well, and I want to finish strong, is what Paul is saying. Paul talks about, I don't want to box the air. I don't want you to be shadow boxing. I want my blows to count. He talks about wrestling. He wants to win in that wrestling. And at the end of his life, the very last letter he writes to Timothy, his protege, he says this, I have fought the good fight, 
and I have finished my race. Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord has preserved for all who love the appearance of his coming. The whole word race is an interesting word when we try to look at how that affects the English language. The word race speaks of, if the word is agon. Can you think of any English word that would say like agon? Maybe you do wordle or something like that, all right? This is a five-letter word. Add a Y to the end of that, agony. How about add a few more letters, agonizing. The very nature of the word itself speaks to the need for endurance. That it's tough, it's hard. We have to keep on keeping on. And that's what endurance is all about. It's when you want to throw in the towel, when you say, I'm done, when you say, I'm through here, think again. And get up and get started again. Because you're not through here. You're not through till God says you're through. Stay in the race. We look at this and, and the whole concept that's there is this. Endurance is a steady determination to keep on going and that's what it's going to take to push through this whole thing of the race that's there. So how can we run with endurance? You know, preachers are great about telling us what we should do. And Brandon, you can listen to a whole boatload of sermons and not be holier as a result. I hate to say that, you know, a lot of preachers are reading their own press clippings and they're smoking something they probably shouldn't be smoking, okay? <laughs> to think that just ser mere sermons is going to transform people. People ask me what I like about, about not being a senior pastor anymore and doing this stuff. I say, well, one of the things I really miss is preaching, but it's not just doing a one-off preaching. And I try to tell our students at the seminary, nobody just preaches the word. You preach the word to people. You see, it's not just preaching the word, it's taking the word, it's ingesting it, it's digesting it, it's allowing us to change our life. And I really miss that from week to week. Just watching the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, change the lives of the people of God into who he wants us to be, to accomplish what he wants us to do. And that's what we're about when we open the pages of this book, but it's going to take endurance one step at a time oftentimes the christian life is referred to as a walk walk in it a walk is a controlled fall a step at a time but there for a moment we're off balance we're just out of sync and you got to have another step that comes through the same thing's true with the race a step at a time when we started celebrate recovering at desert springs years ago we did a seven or eight week series on the biblical basis of recovery ministries. And I try to tell our people, we don't have a recovery ministry. We are a recovery ministry. And if you don't know that you're in a steps program, you haven't even gotten to the first step yet. You're still in denial. It's a walk. It's a race. And it takes endurance. A step at a time. A step at a time. A step at a time. A decision at a time. So how can we run with endurance? And I just want to tell you, you need to do this. The Bible is great. God, our Heavenly Father, has given us instructions on how do you do that. And the next three things, I'm going to give you three R's. And it's not reading, writing, and arithmetic. Okay, but it's still three R's. The first is, by remembering, it can be done. By remembering, it can be done. In verse 1, the first part, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, okay, hit the pause button there. Who are these witnesses that he's talking about? 
Who are these people that are witnessing what he's saying can be done, that you can run well, and you can finish strong. You can endure the agonizing things of life. Remember, there's a group of people that have gone before us. The cloud of witnesses, I believe, if you look at the context in chapter 11 of Hebrews, it's what many would call the hall of faith. Not hall of fame, hall of faith. These are men and women who historically, biblical characters who exhibited faith, that faith was the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet to see, and they persisted in it. People like Noah, who was told that there was coming a great flood, and God wanted him to build an ark. And he worked for at least 50, possibly 75 years, building this humongous ship in a land that was desert and at a time in which there had been no rain. Think of how stupid that would have looked. Think of the ridicule that Noah would have taken from all these people. Hey, Noah, what are you doing? What is that? And yet he, the scriptures call him a preacher of righteousness because the whole time he was building the boat, I think he was also preaching the truth. He persisted year after year after year after year simply because God said, this is what you need to do. He trusted him, that's faith. People like Abraham who left his land, everything that was familiar to him, everything, his family, his means of support, everything that was familiar in Ur the Chaldees to go out to a place that God said, I will show you. And Abram believed God and it was considered to him as righteousness. And he left. Gordon MacDonald, I love his book on mid-course correction, where he says this. He says, for Abram to leave Ur, to say yes to the voice who had told him to go, he had to overcome a thousand cultural stays. Like a rocket that's breaking through the gravity of Earth to get into the stratosphere. What are those cultural stays that are holding you back, holding me back? from going where God has said go, or doing what God has said do, or not do. What is it that's holding us back? Are we men and women of faith? The biblical characters in Hebrews 11 are what I believe we're being referred to here. Some people say it's, the, it's them in heaven and they're cheering us. I don't know about that. That's probably reading more into the text than here. But it certainly is. We can look back historically and see how these men and women lived by faith and say, if they can do it, because they put their sandals on the same way that we do, so can we by the power of the Spirit of God. Remembering it can be done. But it's not just, it's not just biblical history. I derive great encouragement from someone like a William Wilberforce, who all of his life in the British Empire fought to abolish the abominable slave trade. And it didn't really happen until after he died, but he is largely the one that God used to get it done. All of his life, he stayed the course. And God used him in an amazing way. He's a hero of the faith in my book because of his faith in Christ. That's what motivated him to do that. I have people in my life, I bet you do too. I think of Tom. Tom is a guy at Desert Springs who owned a car wash, and yet he started going blind. Instead of becoming bitter, Tom turned to the Lord 
and said, I can't do this work anymore, but what can I do? He started going into the Palomino community, into the schools that were there, and sponsoring and leading good news clubs for children in the Palomino community, which is just west of our campus. He has seen many children and families come to Christ because he didn't wave the white flag and say, what can I do? Tom's one of my heroes. Jan's one of my heroes. Jan's a woman who got polio as a young woman. Always wanted to be married. Always wanted to have a family. God did not provide that. She became instead a teacher. She got involved in young life. She has been a mentor and a mother to many people, including a young African-American family that she met through a camp up at Lost Canyon. Taking care of the babies so these kids through young lives could do something and enjoy life and hear about Jesus. And she got involved in this family's life. And she helped to rear those children. And that has been great heartbreak, and it has been heartwarming. But she has been faithful to God through all of that. She's one of my heroes. Malcolm Cronk is a pastor I served with at Camelback Bible that Brandon mentioned. Emily and I got to go to, hit, to Illinois where he was for his 100th birthday. Incredible, sharp as a tack at 100. He was preaching up to about 90. But he told me, he said, Rick, I'm sort of going back to the same place as I started. It's little startup churches and people there between pastors and this, that, and the other, and yet God's given me that opportunity. He is one of my heroes. I bet you got people like that in your life. You know what? Look at them and say, if God can do that in their life, I'll bet he could do it in mine too. Run with endurance by remembering it can be done. You and I have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us that will attest to that fact, don't we? Remember it, thank God for them, and mimic them. The second one is not just remembering it can be done, but the second part of verse 1, it's by removing anything that holds us back. Okay, look at what it says. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Can we be honest? Can we talk here? There's some things that are counterproductive to our walk in faith with Christ. Some of those are even good things. But as I heard from a friend years ago, he said, sometimes good is best's worst enemy. Can I say that again? Good is sometimes best's worst enemy. A lot of times the choice is not between good and bad. It's between good, better, and best. It's a matter of priorities. What do we do? What do I mean by that? could be practices, but I just don't have time to spend in the Word. Okay, let me push back on that a little bit. How much time do you have to sit in front of the television? And I'm not saying television's bad. I, I appreciate and enjoy watching shows on television, so don't think I'm bagging on that. But if we have time to do entertainment of whatever nature, <clears throat> but we say we don't have time to be in the Word, isn't there a problem with that? Which of those is more important? <clears throat> Emily said to me the other day, I hadn't planned, Emily, on saying this. I'm sorry, you're getting used here. <clears throat> but there were some things that we need to do that were of higher priority for our family. And I was planning on going on a hunting trip for a couple of days. And she's always been great to encourage me and support me in doing that. But this time she said, I hesitate to say this, but don't you think it's a lot more important to get this done than to go hunting for the next three days? How do you think I received that? 
She's in the room, so I'm not going <clears> to... <throat> anyway, I didn't like hearing that, and she knows I didn't like hearing that. I did not receive it well, but she was right. She was right. So I didn't go hunting, and I did stay to get those things done, and I tried to do it with a good attitude. I hear from your chuckles, you guys get what I'm talking about. <laughs> but the point is, there's, you know, there's priorities that we have to have, because good, there's nothing wrong with that. That would have been a good thing to do, but it was not the better or best thing to do at the time. <clears throat> sometimes, and I say this carefully, but sometimes good things like even Bible studies can get in the way. I know people say, well, I don't have time to serve because I've got this Bible study and that Bible study and this Bible study. I'm thinking you're already educated beyond your obedience. Maybe it's better to stop one of those Bible studies so that you can practice what it says. Because 2 Timothy 3 says the Word of God is inspired and it is profitable. Yes. But verse 17 says that the man or woman of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Some of us are overfed and under-exercised when it comes to our spiritual lives. Do you tracking with me? So that's where something good could become bad if it precludes me from doing what God's calling me to do. I'll let you chew on that one for a while. Could be financial commitments, but I don't have any money to give to others. Well, maybe we need to simplify where our expenses are going so that we have some money to be able to do that. <clears throat> Sometimes it's friends that hold us back. Friends is good. Family is good. But not if it precludes us or keeps us from doing and being what God wants us to do. So you, you get the point. It's laying aside anything that holds us back. One of the benefits of COVID, we listened to a lot of church services and a lot of preachers. One of the ones we listened to a lot was uh, Alistair Begg out of Ohio. And he talked about one time he went to Africa and he likes to fly. So <clears throat> the mission aviation people took him to a place. They showed him these planes. And he said they were state-of-the-art planes. They really, but I, when I looked inside, I saw something different. All the seats had been taken out and it was just very Spartan seats. And all the plush stuff had been stripped out of there. It was just nuts and bolts and, and staves within the, the body of the plane. Anything that didn't require na navigation or the flying of the plane had been taken out. Why would they do that? Why would they ruin such a great plane? To increase its payload for medicine, for materials, for people. He said they had stripped out anything that would weight it down and hold it back from accomplishing its purpose. That's the picture that's being talked about here. Would you try to run a race in competition wearing lead weights? No. They're great for training. They're not great for the race. Would you run it in sweats? No, you wouldn't. You would strip down as much as you could from anything that would impede you or me from going forward. That's the picture. <clears throat> But there is a sin, he says, and the sin which so frequently clings to us and trips us up. The sin of the Hebrews, I believe, was essentially lack of faith. But isn't that the root of all sin? Lack of faith. 
There can be ways and reflections of that. It could be substance abuse. It could be language. It could be materialism. It could be all sorts of different things of the fruit of the flesh. But it's a lack of faith. We've seen that within churches. We've seen that within pastors where people get tripped up. They may be powerful. They may be very gifted. But they get tripped up by some besetting sin. Friends, if there's any besetting sin in your life, it's not helping us to run the race with endurance. Get rid of it, whatever it is. I remember a man came to talk to me. His name is Scott. And we talked to my office. And as a part of talking about some other things, it came out that he had a drug and alcohol issue that he was wanting to move past as a follower of Jesus Christ. It happened to be a Tuesday night. So I said, I want to introduce you to some people. So we walked over and I introduced him to some of the leaders in Celebrate Recovery. By God's grace and by his perseverance, Scott's still faithfully clean and sober. He's walking with Jesus, and he's walking strongly. His marriage is strong. Going to a men's event, he'll be the one that's cooking the, the uh, uh, what do you call those things on our griddle? Pancakes, there you go. <clears throat> the bacon and sausage and pancakes and all the stuff that make men's breakfast is great. He's there serving in so many different ways. There's a huge turning point for Scott to say, I'm going to let this behind me. I'm going to leave this in the dust. I'm moving forward. Then the third of the things. You remember I said there are three R's? The first is remembering it can be done. The second is removing anything that holds us back, whether it's good or whether it's sin. Remove it. If it impedes us, remove it. Get, let it go. Leave it behind. The third is the most important of all, and that is refocusing our eyes on Jesus. And that's what it says in verse 2. <clears throat> Let us run with endurance the race set before us, verse 2, looking to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I say refocus because our eyes get distracted. Matter of fact, the next three weeks, we're going to look in the Apostle Peter's life and look at three specific instances in his life that caused him to be distracted from following Jesus, to get his eyes off of Jesus. And I invite you to come back and let's learn each of those weeks so that we can run the race with endurance by keeping focused on Jesus. Okay, what is it that we're to focus on? We're called to run with endurance. Jesus endured the cross, it says. Didn't that, isn't that the word that was used here again? He didn't enjoy the cross. He didn't skip to the cross. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night in which he was betrayed, the night before he was crucified, as Jesus is praying with the Father, what was his prayer? Father, if there is any way, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. And he prayed so passionately that drops of blood mingled with sweat fell from his brow on the ground. He endured the cross. He endured the instrument of his death. Why? It says so in the text. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy? It was to do what you and I couldn't do. It's to pay the penalty of our sin that we who deserve to die might instead be given life abundant and life eternal. 
And that brought Jesus joy. The greatest joy for Jesus was not comfort in this life. The greatest joy for Jesus was doing the will of the Father because he loved the Father and he loved us who were created in his image so much that he endured the cross. That's why Jesus said, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But what's the next line? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You know, oftentimes through Scripture, they'll look at difficult times and say, this is what life is like. And oftentimes it's used about childbirth. It's talking about a woman that's going through the travail of childbirth, and yet after the child is born, there is great joy, and that tends to recede into the rearview mirror. Because the focus is on the baby. We saw that in the life of our first granddaughter, our son and daughter, had, daughter-in-law had prayed for a child and it didn't look like they were going to be, have children. And yet God graciously granted them a pregnancy. And the pregnancy didn't go anything like you had hoped. It was challenging and difficult. And the delivery didn't go anything like they had planned. Now, you've got to understand, my son's an attorney and my daughter-in-law's a CPA. They're into order. <laughs> Their world got rocked big time. But yet, I've got to tell you, when little Hannah came into the world and we saw her and held her, all the rest of that stuff and the difficulties seemed to evaporate into space. You, many of you know what I'm talking about. And she's a great joy for us. There's another young couple that is one of my heroes, but also like my son in the faith. His name is Nicholas. Nicholas is from East Africa also, but they live here. He and his wife Mary are really a part of mine and Emily's adoptive family. Nicholas never knew his dad. And he only calls me pastor, but he looks to me as his father. They call Emily mom, mom Emily. They wanted to have a child. One day they said, Pastor Rick, would you and Mom Emily come meet with us? It's our anniversary, and would you come and pray for us on our anniversary? I don't know about you, but on my wedding anniversary, I don't want to share that with a bunch of other people. But they wanted us to be there. We said, of course. And they said, but before we go out to dinner, would you pray for us? And I said, certainly. So we met in a prayer garden. We prayed for them. And I said, what's the desire of your heart? What's God putting on your heart? And I knew the answer. They wanted a child in the worst way. So I prayed with Nicholas, Emily, and I did, and laid hands on them and prayed that God would open Mary's womb as he did so many of the women throughout scriptures. And about four or five months later, I get a call. Guess what? God answered those prayers that Mary had conceived. And it was a joyous call. And about five months later, I get another call. And I'm abbreviating this story. And it was not a happy call. They'd gone for a well baby visit and found that the baby was dead. They went from the height of joy and excitement to the depths, the lowest of depths. How could God do this would be my question. This seems like such a huge bait and switch. But yet when Emily and I walked through that hospital room and Mary was in the bed and Nicholas was beside her bed and tears were streaming down their face, Mary said this through her tears. She said, God is good all the time. God's good all the time. 
Friends, you can't have that perspective if your eyes are not on Jesus, regardless of the circumstances. And so they thought, well, maybe it's not God's path for us to have children of our own. So they began to take training, become foster parents. And God opened the door for them to, to parent some children. And then God blessed them with a little girl of their own. And they named her Sifa. Sifa in Swahili means praise. But see, they were walking that praise long before they received this gift of Sifa. Because their eyes were focused on Jesus. And by the way, part of Sifa's name is Emily. After Mom Emily. What a beautiful picture of God's work. And in some ways I mentor them and in many ways they mentor me. That's the way it should work. We encourage one another in the faith. So how do we keep our eyes focused on Jesus? I'm going to tell you, there's no substitute for reading his word, especially the gospels. Stay focused on who Jesus is. Go to the original source. Read about him. Learn about him. You may want to use a devotional, something like this, but this is a book that's been inordinately helpful for us. It's written by Ken Geyer, who was a classmate or not, he's a, he's a graduate from Dallas, not one of my classmates, but he wrote a book called Intimate Moments with the Savior. It's, it's priceless. It's a great little devotional. Intimate Moments with the Savior. And we're going to talk more about this in the next few weeks by Ken Geyer. You may want to watch some good Christian drama. I say that because so much of it is cheesy. Uh, but something like The Chosen, if you haven't watched The Chosen, it will open your eyes to some different aspects about Jesus, that about his, just his interactions with people. I have found it incredibly helpful. Don't get your theology, because there's a lot of extra-biblical stuff that comes in there, which is sanctified imagination, which I find very helpful. But understand, there's so much about the person of Jesus that, that sometimes we've missed. That's why Philip Yancey writes a book like The Jesus I Never Knew, also a great resource. Do those types of things so that we can keep our eyes focused on Jesus. You know, run with endurance the race that God's put before you. Understand that the scriptures speak of that, New Testament, Old Testament. In Hebrews chapter 40, it says we need to run. And it says those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get weary. And they will walk and not faint. Friends, even though the young men stumble and sometimes stumble and fall badly, we can get back up and we can run well. And we can finish strong. Do you believe that? That's what we need to pray. God, I believe that. Help my unbelief and begin to live this way. You know, we want to wrap this message up and send us out with this thought in a way that Jesus historically gave us to remember him. And that's called communion. The scriptures tell us in the night in which the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he told his disciples, take and eat of this. And what's the next phrase? In remembrance of me. Keep your eyes focused on me. My body broken for you. After supper, he took a cup. I believe that was the third cup of a Passover meal, the cup of redemption. And he took that cup and he said, this cup 
represents the new covenant in my blood. The scriptures tell us without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Jesus has said, this is my blood, the blood of the unblemished lamb, the blood of someone who was sinless, was poured out that it might be applied to you and to me, those of us who are sinful. So in a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to ask Aaron and the team, if they would, to come on up here. And then just some words of directions. There's four tables that have been set up in each corner of the room. We want to invite you to listen to the music that's here, reflect upon what we've said in the Scripture, and, and would should you like to celebrate communion. And we invite you to do that. This is not the table of North Bible Church. This is the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then please come and partake. As you partake of the bread, thank Jesus that he loved you so much that he allowed his body to be broken on your behalf. If you drink the cup, thank him that he allowed his lifeblood to be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins and just thank him for that. And then come back and sit and continue in worship as the song is being played. This table is for anyone who has a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're not sure that you have, I just want to pray for you and say this is how you could know right now that you have a personal faith in Christ, even before you come to the table. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, most importantly, humble your hearts. And if you want to make sure before you come to this table, I know that my sins have been forgiven, then say to God something like this. The exact words are not important. It's the thought and intention of your heart that is. I'm just going to say it a phrase at a time. And if you want to make sure, just, just say this to God. He'll hear your prayer. God, I believe that you exist and you want to have a relationship with me. But I admit, I am a sinner. My thoughts and actions come so far short of your standards. I understand it's my sin that has separated me from you. But I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe his death on the cross can provide forgiveness of my sins. And his resurrection from the dead can give me life eternal. Lord, I believe that. And I place my faith in Jesus Christ alone and ask him to forgive my sins and to make me the kind of person you want me to be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer now or sometime in the past, we invite you as the song is being sung, as you're ready, please just get up out of your seat and go to one of these places and partake. This is between you and the Lord and just thank him for who he is and for what he's done. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. so glad you came this morning. If God has surfaced something in your life, you're saying, I just need someone to pray with me, then there can be some prayer partners over here by the wall in this corner. Just stop by and talk with them. They would be so thankful and honored to pray with you even before you walk out the door. 
If you've got some prayer requests that you'd like for the church to pray, there's some boxes in the back. You can drop those prayer requests off there as well. We count it a great honor to be able to pray for you and to bring you before our God who's in heaven. Now, would you stand with me as for a benediction? And here this is God's prayer, our prayer for you today, for each of us. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. In Jesus' name we say, amen. God bless you and have a great week in him. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.